views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Have you got a wife, sir? Yes, I have. Excuse me. Has your wife got a bad temper, Mr. Graham? No, very good. Oh, you're lucky. For years, I lived in misery. Then one day, I made a great discovery. There was a socialist meeting, and I went to it. I wasn't a socialist, understand. I went to this meeting because I was curious. The speaker was good. And a week later, we were out with some friends, and I repeated what I heard. My wife laughed in a very peculiar way. And when I got home, I made a discovery. I found out my wife was a snob, and even more stupid than I dreamed. She said that I humiliated her by saying such things as if I believed them, that all her friends were respectable people, and I mustn't speak as if I was a, a working man. She whipped. Then I knew that I was free. Mr. Graham, I bought books and pamphlets to make my arguments more damaging. My wife became very docile. She even cooked things I liked, just so as I wouldn't disgrace her. I see. So, uh, you don't believe these things you say? Oh, that's where my little joke comes in. Mr. Graham, for a while I was free. Then a terrible thing happened. I finally began to believe these things that I said. The books I read showed me that I'd found a truth. I, a capitalist by instinct, became a socialist by conviction. Worse than that, there was a strike at the factory, and I, the manager, supported the strikers. I didn't belong to a union, naturally, and so I was dismissed. It was ridiculous. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, November 8th, 2012. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. And we'll be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into colour, colour into black and white. Under the clothes. And welcome to the show today, two days after the U.S. election, which is going to be the basic theme of our entire broadcast today. And we'll be talking about everything from what and who won and lost the election, to socialism versus capitalism, to a house divided. And Robert, you say, in the choice between live free or die, Americans chose the latter. (laughs) They did indeed. And so, uh, well, I don't know, are you still in shock? Are you in any sort of shock? I think. Oh no, actually no. I'm not surprised at all. Really, um, it was a choice between, uh, as somebody put it on Facebook, a moron and a Mormon. So <laughs> I don't know what to make of that, except that the uh, Tweedledum, Tweedledee. What's the difference? Well, there is a major difference, and I'll get into that in the last half of the show. Well, that's true too. And I'm, you know, it's actually perhaps too early to do the kind of show we would like to do on the election because we're reacting within 48 hours of the election itself, and there's still a lot of reaction to come in. For example, the stock markets plummeted their greatest single-day plummet of the year. Over 2% and, yesterday, and, yes. Um, so that's kind of one way of a message getting back economically in terms of what they thought about the election. But you can imagine my surprise when I discovered that many media pundits were actually framing Tuesday's U.S. presidential election as the ultimate confrontation between socialism and capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm thinking the one thing that the election was not about, even though all politically philosophical struggles are always between socialism and capitalism, between force and consent and those things, but that's the one thing this election was not about, because I think that battle has kind of been lost a long time ago in favor of the socialists, as this election seems to demonstrate. I don't think it's Obama that surprises me. I think it's the American people. Yes. And they have changed dramatically, and there's been a lot of conversation about that, which we'll get into later on. 
But, you know, the, the, the bigger choices are always socialism and capitalism, force or consent, choice or monopoly, freedom or tyranny, high taxes or low taxes, failure or prosperity. And in every case, <laughs> Americans are choosing the worst of each of those two choices, literally choosing them. Now, is that out of ignorance? Is that out of fear? Or is it just out of greed? I, I find myself asking these questions. You know, we heard that opening clip that was actually from the movie Journey into Fear, where the socialist admits he's capitalist by, by insti instinct, but socialist by conviction. And how he points out a socialism once considered socially embarrassing and unacceptable among cultured company has now become the middle-of-the-road position of all political parties. I mean, they're all socialist. And so they're all on the road toward tyranny and toward fiscal bankruptcy, and that's what everybody's talking about today. So I guess it's all over now, except the impending crisis of going over the cliff, which I understand is supposed to be somewhere around January 1st, the, 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 that proverbial fiscal cliff they're talking about. And I guess I could crack all the usual jokes that we do after the, each election. Well, the politicians won and the voters lost, etc., etc. And one thing I've learned is that, you know, people do not want change. If change is what Obama was representing, they sure, sure didn't vote for change this election. And when I compare, and I think we'll compare both of the leaders sometime a little later on in the show, um, we'll find how, how similar they were on so many domestic policies, particularly domestically. And that might be part of the reason people have a hard time distinguishing between them on those issues. And then I, I wonder really if people even think about the major issues before they vote. But if there's one thing I've noticed that's really changed in America over the past four years, and... The Obama years were filled with a growing cynicism and increasing despair over the whole state of the nation and economy. I don't think I've ever seen in past history, between elections or during, or, or, or you know, feelings about a president where we saw, now mind you, they didn't have YouTube and things like that, but remember that if I wanted America to fail, that, that famous YouTube thing that got millions and millions yes. of hits, which basically outlined Obama's agenda <laughs> in a in a way of saying, listen, if this is what you want to do to fail, this is what you do. And it's every single Obama point. And Coulter, just a few weeks ago, who was a guest on this show, previously got in trouble for publicly calling Obama a retard, can you believe it, on an American talk show. And she defended herself quite aptly, both for using the word and for applying it to Obama. And um, I have to admit, though, after hearing it, I, no one's yet managed to prove her wrong <laughs> you know now obama has been accused of everything from being a, a muslim of not being born in america of not being um a legitimate presidential candidate those things have not really been even settled yet you know i think the verdict is still out on some of those and some of them are saying he's not even qualified to run and yet none of that has stopped the american system the american government has incurred history-setting, history-setting deficits and is accumulating completely unresolvable debts and obligations. And, you know, you, you can't always predict who the president's going to be from day to day, but predicting our economic future is, is pretty well a no-brainer about now, wouldn't you say? Yes, down. Down, beyond belief. And we would be talking, as you said, Robert, when we talked earlier, we'd be saying a lot of the same things today had Romney been elected. Yep. You know... It's interesting. I heard uh, 
uh, um, an economic advisor on another station mentioned that we don't have to worry about the U.S. going into a crisis like Europe is going into because uh, the U.S. is okay relative to Europe. And he might be true, technically speaking, I guess, but I guess the, the thing the U.S. has going forward is it has fiat money and can now print its way out of debt. And that's where they're going to end up going. I, you know. But the in- interesting thing, I think, is at this point, they can't even do that, because instead they'd be printing their way into more debt. Yeah, Germany tried it in the 30s. Yes, and it just seems like we're heading headlong into it without any consideration for facts, statistics, reality. Well, it's as uh, you said, Bob, it is ignorance. You asked whether it's ignorance or fear or whatever it was, but I believe it is ignorance. Complete and utter ignorance of what money is, what value is, what freedom is, and I blame the school system, I blame teachers, I blame the education, I blame the intellectuals, I blame the universities, I blame us ourselves for not um, carrying the torch of freedom and continually drumming into people exactly what it is to be free as an individual. Well, this is the problem. Um, freedom is is a value to the people, but the political parties that pretend, pretend today to to support it are not doing that. Uh, often, the Republican Party is seen as that party. Um, you know, if you hear any of their speeches, if you heard Obama's accept- acceptance speech when he won the last election, and I listened to it before doing this show, I haven't got a clip from it, but. There was a lot in there I would have agreed with, with the sentiment, with the feeling, with the, with the sense of uh, what the country's all about. Well, Yet you that, know why? why? Because is Obama is a great politician. I'll give him that. Oh, I mean, no, to no, go not. what you're saying is he's, he's a good liar. Is that what you're he, saying? Exactly. Oh, that is exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. He, he will tell the people exactly what they want to hear in order to achieve power. So you don't think he actually believes anything he says? No. I think he's a consummate liar. I think he's a practiced liar. I think he's a power-mad demagogue. Is that too subtle? No, he kind of fits into the typical description of... He's destroyed that country. Actually, the American people have destroyed that country. I don't think a single person can do that. Um, You know, the government down there apparently distrusted itself so much that they passed some legislation several years ago, which is why we're talking about this impending cliff coming up. Because apparently on January 1st, unless they make other choices, automatic tax increases and spending cuts simultaneously... No, spending cuts are great. The tax increases, not. No. And, uh, but what, they mean, you know, that, what that will mean is service cuts. The things they're promising to give people for the increased price is now going to be a decreased product. No, the pipers is, paying, coming to which, camp. Which is what we've been saying for 30 years, you and I. Yeah. You know, and that's exactly the pattern it has to go to. There, there are no other choices. Now, that's supposed to kick in for Americans on January 1st. And, you know, I'm thinking, like, you know, they're going to be like the character in our opening from the movie Journey into Fear who are soon going to find themselves hoisted on their own petard. They all voted for socialism, and now they're going to get hoisted up by it. They're going to find that they're unemployed, the standard of living of the country goes down, the power of the country goes down. And, you know, some of the media pundits were saying, well, that's why the Republicans can't win anymore, because we've really got a changing America. The demographic is changing, and the Republican Party no longer fits the demographic. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true. There, these, these wild um, assumptions, look, look at how close all the votes were, 49-49. You know, it's neck and neck all the way as far as the voting total goes. And that's pretty much because the U.S. only has a two-party system, and that's something else we'll be looking at a little later on. Now, I have to say, when it comes to polls and pollsters and the media, 
uh, four years ago when I last spoke of anything to do with the U.S. election and election results, I kind of predicted, or maybe I more hoped, that Obama would be a one-term president. And I had a, I did put a caveat on that. I said the Republicans have to offer a clear and desirable alternative to Americans, right? But I have obviously been proven wrong on, <laughs> on who won the election. And, uh, you know, I put this there, Robert. This now joins my, uh, my last famous Just Right prediction that the show, TV show Drive would be the number one television show in America. <laughs> <laughs> so then, much for your prediction. And then it was canceled within 24 hours of, of my prediction. So that's two that I definitely got wrong. Uh, you know, and it, but the thing is, uh, again, I figure, okay, that's going to be the end of my career in pre- predictions, except that that's a prediction, too, <laughs> saying that I'm not going to do any more predictions. And I can't guarantee it'll come to pass. So I predict that I'll still be making predictions of sorts based on comparisons with past performances and history and combined with an application of understood principles and forces at play. One thing I learned is that listen to all the talk show talk shows, just especially right now, people are all asking about what's what's going to happen, what's the future going to be like. It's like they're all going to the soothsayer, you know, get out the crystal ball and tell me what's happening. And people keep asking about future expectations, even of us. And against that, they measure their satisfaction or dissatisfaction with the way things eventually actually turn out. And the catch-22 to that is that... Uh, when you stop making predictions or speculating about the future, you know, people actually stop listening to you because they don't want to hear history or the past. And I think that's why polls attract so much attention despite complaints against them. And my experience has been that honest polls are usually correct, you know, as they say, 19 out of 20 times. And again, getting back to the basic issue, the deficit and debt situation described by both Mitt Romney and, and and Barack Obama, uh, you know, are, are completely predictable. We're going to hear them speaking in an upcoming uh, clip just coming up as we go to break now. But I have to say, you know, in days of future past, the crisis of today m- might become the good old days of tomorrow. Have you ever thought of that? Oh, God help us. Because I think back on the 60s and all, all those days, and we've got some clips from that period, and uh, politics passed, and we thought those were the end of the world kind of crisis then, too. And well, we that was the sort of end of the world crisis, if you think of uh, Cuba missile crisis and Cold War and things like that. <laughs> well, oh yes, that was definitely serious stuff. Now, the other issue was picking winners and losers. I ran into a fascinating editorial by Karen McQuin- McQuillan, sorry, October 23rd, from the American Thinker, and it was sent to me, uh, actually by Paul McKeever, who sent it along to me. And this writer had already picked the winning person of the presidency being Romney. Now, I noted, I, I looked at the headline, and I noticed it didn't say Romney won the election. It says Romney won the presidency last night, referring to the very first um, U.S. election. U.S. election debate, that is. And her impression was that words do not matter as much as body language when voters decide on the man they trust to lead the nation. And that's what elections are often about, is about trust itself. Now, mind you, the issue, too, is it would be great if everyone had watched the election debate, the first one, but not everybody does. And, and, and Even though a lot of people vote, it's a minority of people who do so. And in her you know, in her point of view, she said the whole thing was about body language and about who feels like a winner. 
Listen, when we return on the other side of our break for a smile, we shall attempt to answer some of the question, what, not necessarily who, won the election? It's easy to criticize, but if you got anything of a constructive nature to suggest. Uh Aha! It just so happens that I have. Ladies and gentlemen, as a special guest, here is a man who claims to be absolutely infallible in the field of predictions. How about that? Ladies and gentlemen, introducing the great Nervo. It's going to be pretty exciting. Oh, you can I actually predict so. what's going to happen in the future. Silence, please. Uh, Silence. I have a prediction. Hmm. Although I've never seen either one of you before, never hmm. touched your face, never felt your teeth. I predict. <laughs> Someday, you two will meet and form a great comedy team. I predict. <laughs> no, yes, I can see record pops, supermarket openings. Hey, I see people cheering, laughing, smiling, sir. booing, a few booing. Well, sir. Be good all sir. the time. Sir. Yeah, what? Sir, sir, we've, we've been a team for some time now. Uh-huh. Don't fear. It'll happen. The great nerve prediction. <laughs> Yeah, well, if you say so. I was just wondering if you... Silence could... again. Another prediction. I see a presidential election. Oh, boy! And on our show, too! Good, good, good! Go, go! Shut up. <laughs> yes, I see a presidential election. I see a man named Johnson. Johnson defeating another man... Another man named Gold... Gold... Goldwater. I see a man named Johnson defeating oh, Barry Goldwater. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. President Johnson defeated Barry Goldwater in 1964. Aha! Uh-huh. Two out of three for the great nerve ball. You haven't told us anything uh-huh. yet. Silence again, please. Now, for those of you who are skeptical, those of you who do not believe, I have another prediction. Let me see now. I predict that there will be a turning point in the war. I predict on June 6th, the Allies, along with the United States, will storm the beach of Normandy. Yes, it will be a long day. Correction, it'll be the longest day. That's June 6th, 1941. Well, that already happened. How dare you doubt the great nerve ball? History will bear me out. He's got a point there, Dan. Uh-huh. Yes. Good. Shut up. Oh. <laughs> yes, all of my predictions are 99% right. 99%? That's right. What about the other 1%? Oh, well, great one. That's uh, <laughs> when I fool around trying to predict the future. I'm not too good in that area. <laughs> I have a prediction. I predict. I'm leaving. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Get out of here. Three in a row. My priority is putting people back to work in America. They're suffering in this country. And we talk about evidence. Look at the evidence of the last four years. It's absolutely extraordinary. We've got 23 million people out of work or stop looking for work in this country. All right. It's just, it's, we've got, we've got, when the president took office, 32 million people on food stamps, 47 million on food stamps today. Economic growth this year, slower than last year, and last year slower than the year before. The, the going forward with the status quo is not going to cut it for the American people who are struggling today. What are the differences between the two of you as to how you would go about tackling the deficit problem in this country. Oh, good. I'm glad you raised that. And it's a, it's a critical issue. I think it's not just an economic issue. I think it's a moral issue. I think it's frankly not moral for my generation to keep spending massively more than we take in, knowing those burdens are going to be passed on to the next generation. And they're going to be paying the interest and the principal all their lives. And the amount of debt we're adding at a trillion a year is simply not moral. What things would I cut from spending? Well, first of all, I will eliminate all programs by this test if they don't pass it. 
Is the program so critical it's worth borrowing money from China to pay for it? And if not, I'll get rid of it. Obamacare is on my list. I apologize, Mr. President. I use that term with all respect. I like it. Good. Okay, good. So, so I'll get rid of that. I'm sorry, Jim. I'm going to stop the subsidy to PBS. I'm going to stop other things. I like PBS. I love Big Bird. I actually like you, too. But I'm not going to keep on spending money on things to borrow money from China to pay for it. That's number one. Number two, I'll take programs that are currently good programs, but I think could be run more efficiently at the state level and send them to the state. Number three, I'll make government more efficient and to cut back the number of employees, combine some agencies and departments. My cutbacks will be done through attrition, by the way. This is the approach we have to take to get America to a balanced budget. The president said he'd cut the deficit in half. Unfortunately, he doubled it. Trillion dollar deficits for the last four years. The president's put in place as much public debt, almost as much debt held by the public as all prior presidents combined. Mr. President, two minutes. When I walked into the Oval Office, I had uh, more than a trillion dollar deficit greeting me. Uh, and we know where it came from. Two wars that were paid for on a credit card, two tax cuts that were not paid for, and a whole bunch of programs that were not paid for, and then uh, a massive economic crisis. And so I put forward a specific $4 trillion deficit reduction plan. We're putting it forward before Congress right now, a $4 but, trillion but dollar been, plan. But you've been president four balance. years. You've been president four years. Right. You said you cut the deficit in half. It's now four years later. We still have trillion dollar deficits. The CBO says we'll have a trillion dollar deficit each of the next four years. If you're reelected, we'll get to a tri trillion dollar debt. I mean, you have said before you'd cut the deficit in half. And the, this four, I love this idea of four trillion in cuts. You found four trillion dollars of ways to reduce or to get closer to a balanced budget, except we still show trillion dollar deficits every Every year. Th that doesn't get the job done. Understand we have a caller on the line. Is that right, Chase? Hello, caller. Uh, I was going to take out Robert's point there was about um, uh, he thinks this is all, uh, the election outcome is, is due to uh, ignorance. I think he's being too kind there. Uh, I really think that this is a public that refuses to know. It's willful blindness. And their willful blindness, I think, is motivated by a moral plague, really, and, and that is uh, injustice. They want something for nothing, and they're willing not to think in order to believe that they can get it. Well, that's interesting you say that, because that's precisely the strongest point that Romney made was just what we just heard there. It was a moral, not an economic issue. You would agree with that, wouldn't you? Absolutely, and you'll notice that out of that whole trans, uh, you know, uh, discussion there, what, what got published in the media? Not that there was a moral uh, difference between the two of them, but that he likes Big Bird. But that was a perfect demonstration of the media helping the public to avoid facing the facts of reality, in that case a fact concerning moral bankruptcy. Yeah, no, but uh, to go back hmm. to that point about the ignorance, um, I agree with you. And this is Paul, right? That's right. Hey, Paul. Uh, I do agree with you that um, there's a definite lack of willingness to want to learn, but that's from the adults. I think that we've, we've missed the boat in teaching our children all of the, uh, the values that um, earlier generations were taught about freedom and... Uh, and hard work and productiveness and they don't have really too much of a choice about uh, wanting to learn they're sitting in front of uh, a teacher who's basically lying to them and uh, or or not telling them what they need to know so well it's interesting yes and no i agree with you it's the adults who refuse to think it's the children who are taught not to think i, I guess that's fair although i think when they grow up they probably realize that they're engaged in in this kind of deliberate 
self-deception. But, I, yeah, I mean, we're all in the same direction on that, I think. Yeah. Actually, this speaks exactly to, to the point I wanted to emphasize in this quarter. And it's, it's ironic that you should call, Paul, because you're the person who forwarded to me this article from which I was <laughs> quoting. Right. And near the end of it, too bad I can't get through all of it, but near the end, the writer writes, most Americans don't know details of foreign policy and don't care. Most of the public doesn't know enough about Iran or Libya or Egypt to tell Romney's facts from, from, from Obama's fictions, right? So, you know, she talked about the whole thing not being about for the average American. Um, you say they have a willful not wanting to know. I think there's some of that in there, certainly in the leadership and the people who push. But um, I think it's, it does speak to a bit of ignorance, as, as Robert was saying, and, and it's, it's deeper than body language and all that other stuff. It's about trust, don't you think? Isn't that really the debate about why the electorate gets so upset when, when politicians go off the, the bad, you know, on the wrong track? I think that's what's going on with Joe Fontana here in the city of, of London. It's an issue of trust. Oh, yes, I, I agree. You know, I, I most think voters the... don't know what's going on, so what they have to do is trust that the person that they're voting for is trustable. Because oh, other than right. that, you know... Not, not only that, that, that that leader that they're, they're relying on is doing the thinking that they don't want to do themselves. I mean, look at the, that lady in the street the other day. She said, they asked her, why are you voting for Obama? She says, because Obama gave me a phone. <laughs> no. You know, that's the depth of the, of, of the analysis there's she's a, willing to do. There's a lot of superficiality in the people's yeah. uh, opinion. For example, you'll watch the polls rise and fall based on uh, Hurricane Sandy and watching Obama hug a woman who's lost her house and he's shedding a tear. The, his polls go up. You, you talk about Romney talking well, about a binder picture. full of women and his polls go down. You have Romney talking about Big Bird and all of a sudden he's a laughing stock and he, he loses the election over a silly comment like that. Nothing to do with the economy, nothing to do with debt, nothing to do with anything that's substantial. It's all superficiality that's driving um, the election. Absolutely. Is it, is it, yeah, it is. I have to agree on, if, if you're going to be critical and mechanical about it, but I think that superficiality is often symbolism. It's the symbolism of the greater idea that they're trying to condense into a, into a five-second um, symbol that people can relate to. You know, that's the problem. I think in the absence of being able to know everything about a candidate and in the actual reality of great ignorance about the essentials of issues, most voters have to vote on faith because they haven't got much else to go on. And, uh, you know, even often what voters do know, you know, just ain't so, as the old saying goes. So a lot of people are voting with, with incorrect knowledge. So, but again on a on a issue by issue basis you know you're stuck with the lesser of two evils two choices and only two choices in the states and i honestly think that the only thing that's ever going to dig america out of its muck is they do need a third alternative a completely different political alternative absolutely and um, thanks for calling paul thank you guys and we shall continue that very theme as we go to a break now and what you're hearing going to hear next is from the 2008 U.S. presidential election, and this is from the John Stewart Show, in which he interviews the third party candidate at the time, and that was Ralph Nader. And uh, he's talking all about the U.S. system of how they vote down there. It's a nightmare compared to our system up here. But this, on this and on the other side of the break, we'll be hearing from him, and then we'll continue the conversation. Hey, Robert? Yes, indeed. You are running for president. Yes. Third are you thinking third time's a charm? Is that where uh, uh, we're at? 
<laughs> no. How are we feeling? Feeling good. You know, uh, the, the, the two parties have just shut out uh, the people in Washington. It's corporate-occupied territory. We can't improve the country as this, we did years ago. Is this about the candidates, or is this more about the system for you at this point? Do you feel like, or is it you can't separate it? Oh, it's the system. Yeah, the, the system really is a, a non-competitive system. The two parties carve up the districts, the Republican-dominated one, Democrat-dominated. Then they keep uh, competitors, small-party candidates, off the ballot with these obstructive ballot access laws. Then they sell the election to the commercial interests. Then they go to Washington, and they turn uh, Washington into a big business-dominated government. No wonder. We have all these problems, you know. Look at daily life, not not on the show. Look at yeah. Look at daily life. You know, uh -huh. you, you have congested traffic. You have daycare costs that are t tremendous. You have cell phone plans that are manipulated. Credit card uh, interest rate gouging. You have, you know, they they trap you with the credit score. Uh, the, it, one thing after another, um, and then you get into the health and safety area. We work to save lives. Are you lives. suggesting, sir, that? Yeah. Oversight of uh, difficulties in this country may not be efficient and effective. Yeah, we call it we call it non-regulation. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, why not though? Uh, uh, do you think the electoral system is just a symptom of that? And if you fix that area, the other stuff will fall into place. Or you're, you're suggesting that a, a general because isn't it a free market? It, or, or, or you're suggesting that perhaps the elections is not a free market? <laughs> no, it's not. It's got two. Uh, two parties. Well, let's talk mechanics then. Yeah, let's... two parties that have carved up the districts called gerrymandering, and and if they were two corporations, they'd be indicted for violation of antitrust laws and convicted because they're engaging in predatory practices against small candidates historically. So you're like a mom and pop candidate. You're a guy. Yeah, you've we been, want to open the window. You've been running up. since 1920 with yeah. hand baked uh, <laughs> legislation <laughs> ideas. People, and people, these guys are Walmart. They're yeah, crushing yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. People, people like me have been running like the anti-slavery party, the women's right to vote little party, right. the farmer populist progressive parties, uh, all the little parties that were first proposing Social Security, right. Medicare, unemployment compensation. Played a very important role exactly. in our nation's development. Exactly. Have they changed laws to now prevent things like that have you noticed a tightening of restrictions hugely huge numbers of signatures Texas Georgia North Carolina Indiana every state is different every state is different Every state is different, and a lot of them, it's almost impossible to get on the ballot, unlike any other Western democracy. Which state is the worst? The worst is probably Texas. Yeah, that's the worst. Uh, North Carolina is second. I can't second. understand that Texas would, uh, because uh, it seems like they would produce the healthiest of democratic systems. <laughs> what, what is so bad about Texas? Uh, too many signatures? Uh, a lot of signatures, and it's in a small period of time, a few weeks, starting uh, tomorrow, for example. Uh, anyone who voted in the Texas primary today is prohibited by Texas law from signing a petition to get you on the ballot for president in November. And uh, go, go back to that. Yeah. If you voted in either, because Texas is an open primary, yeah, so if yeah. you voted for either the Republican or the Democratic candidates yeah, yeah. in this primary, yeah. you are barred from signing a petition for a third-party candidate yeah, exactly. having nothing to do with those primaries. Exactly. It's just to, uh, to make it tougher for little guys to get on the ballot. Has it always been that way? That's a, is that a new rule? Yeah, relatively new. I mean, a number of years. But, I mean, if people knew how closed the system is, and when you close the electoral system, you keep out the good ideas of little parties and so on, you're closing out the people. 
You're closing out what New Horizons. Are there any states that, that, that are more don't care? Yeah, Louisiana, uh, $500, sure. $500 check. You're on. <laughs> Uh, New, New Jersey, uh, 800, 800 vote uh, petitions. 800 uh, signatures. 800, 800 signatures, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Now, that sounds reasonable. That yeah. sounds like something that it's, yeah. it's about getting people uh, yeah. together and doing that. I, yeah. I've got high praise yeah. for New Jersey that's in this system. But uh, you, you, no, just to give you... How many do you think you'll get on? Now, have, have you faced repercussions from your ballot fights in previous elections? Yeah, the Democrats sued, sued us uh, 24 times in 12 weeks in 2004 to get us off one ballot after another. And then when, when they bumped us off the uh, what are they, Pennsylvania... On what grounds they, are they suing you? Well, they're saying that our petitioners were not uh, registered to vote. They're saying our signatures by people didn't register to vote or they changed their address. It's all malarkey. But the, the judges are fairly, you know, partisan. They don't like uh, little guys. They're when you argued Republican. the case in court, you didn't uh, say the word malarkey, did you? Because no, no, no. no. I, I, don't, I don't know that that's a legal term, and I don't know that you would be able to get away with that. But, did you, did, were any of these adjudicated? Yeah, we won most of them, but they drained our resources, so we filed the lawsuit against the Democratic National Committee in November, so they don't do it again. Now, uh, has that uh, come to pass? Or? No, it's still, it's still pending. If you set, how could they settle with you out of court? Like, all right, we'll give you a million votes. You know, how no, 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 they don't. This, this, is, a, this is really a, a determined autocratic effort to stifle free speech, because right. when you run for office, it's speech, assembly, petition, well, this, first this amendment. This is what I like to hear. I, yeah. I, I like to hear that right now, yeah. it, this, is, this is about protecting uh, the consumers and the consumers of democracy because it's about yeah. exposing a system not necessarily uh, yeah. uh, the people within it. And I think that's, uh, but that's it's an admirable thing to do. I know you've taken a lot of heat for it, yeah. but I think that's an And welcome back to Just Train on CHRW 94.9 FM where you can find us online at justrightmedia.org and send us an email at feedback at justrightmedia.org. So we're talking about the, uh, the United States election 2012 and if you were just listening to that clip from Ralph Nader, John Stewart, you might get some idea of the complexities of the American system. I don't claim to understand the American political system. It's very complex and actually has changed it's really easy several times over the years. It's a monopoly. It's a two-party monopoly. <laughs> In general, it goes like this, all right? The United States, contrary to what most people believe, including Americans themselves, by the way, or many of them, is not a democracy. It's a republic, a federation of states. And we have to keep that in mind. Each state is democratic, if by democratic we mean that it elects its representative in each state legislature, and each state government derives its powers from the consent of the government. The U.S. federal government, on the other hand, is elected by the states themselves, and not by the popular vote of the nation as a whole. So, this, the U.S. is a mixture of a democratically elected House of Representatives, a state-appointed Senate, and a president elected by the states, not by the people directly, but by the states, with each state having selected its electors in a winner-take-all system, with the only exceptions, of course, being Maine and Nebraska. But I'm not going to get into those two. Uh, now, it's a center, it's, it's this system of winner-take-all, based on a, a plurality of votes in each state, which effectively keeps out smaller parties, like Ralph Nader's uh, Green Party at the time. Uh, who, would have, uh, who would have to demonstrate a very broad appeal to be able to command the ballots of a majority of the electorate? And that's probably a good thing. Hence, we have two historical parties develop over the years to dominate the system, the Republicans and the Democrats. 
And try as they might, smaller parties like Gary Johnson's Libertarian Party or Jill Stein's um, Green Party face a Herculean task of trying to push out either the Democrats or Republicans to take first place and get any electors in the Electoral College. And writing candidates like um, Green Ralph Nader or the quasi-libertarian Ross Perot didn't stand a chance with the winner-take-all system of electoral votes. Consider that Ross Perot in the 1992 election received 18.9% of the popular vote. Almost 20 million votes, but not one electoral college vote. Running for the House of Representatives or the Senate is somewhat different for independents, and several have been elected to these houses, but the presidency, I think, will probably be forever beyond their grasp. Americans are left with two parties to dominate the political scene for the foreseeable future. That's just the reality of it. And that's constitutionally um, the reality of it, because uh, the Twelfth uh, Amendment basically set out all of these uh, winner-take-all systems and the Electoral College system. And I think it will require a constitutional amendment to make any change. Now, the differences between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party in the United States are much starker, I find, than the difference we see here in Canada between our liberals and our conservatives. In fact, this election has made me consider the duality of voters in the U.S. and to a similar extent here in Canada. And it goes to what you said earlier in the uh, hour, Bob, when you were trying to compare the two parties. But I'm trying to compare the two types of voters. One is a producer, the other is a parasite. One has personal integrity, the other is willing to sell his soul to the highest bidder. One asks no one to sacrifice himself to him, the other demands and expects others sacrifice themselves to him. One has pride in accomplishment, the other takes pride in destruction. One's peaceful, the other violent. One's patriotic, the other wishes to destroy the state. One tells the truth, and the other lies. I'll leave it up to you to decide which of these would vote Republican and which would vote Democrat. I'm sure there's both liberals and conservatives who place themselves on the side of the peaceful, productive, truthful, patriotic creators and thought that their opponents were on the other side. In fact, there is some truth to that. There are people from both sides of the aisle who could be said to fit one description or the, uh, or the other. And there are no doubt Democrats who believe they are genuinely truthful, productive, and patriotic as there are Republicans who are truthful, productive, and patriotic. But that's part of the problem the U.S. is having, and not necessarily with a two-party system, but with having each party represent only one aspect of a complete truth, and that truth being individual rights. The Democrats are considered to be the defenders of individual liberties, such as the right of a woman to choose the destiny of her own body, the right of gay people to enter into consensual relationship and marriages, if I can use that term, the right to consume mind-altering drugs, the right to behave in ways not conforming to tradition, while the Republicans are considered to be the defender of economic and property rights, the right to self-defense and to bear arms, the right to own and keep property, the right to treat one's home as one's castle, the right to create and amass wealth, the right to trade freely with others. But each party has its lists of faults. The Democrats are seen to be destroyers of business, wealth redistributors, protectionists, squanderers of the public purse, and pacifists. The Republicans are seen to be warmongers who are anti-gay, anti-woman, against personal liberties and aberrant yet peaceful behaviors such as consuming mind-altering drugs. And broadly speaking, I think these observations are fairly accurate, uh, while there are exceptions, you know. And, and yet, while the U.S. has had a Democratic Party control both houses and the presidency for the first two years of Obama, 
the war on drugs escalated. And the U.S. is still in Afghanistan. And Guantanamo still existed. And the U.S. still has active military operations throughout the world. When the publicans were in power, we saw a massive increase in regulations and government spending and debt. So where do these descriptions end? It seems that regardless of which party achieves power, Americans are doomed to see the steady erosion of both personal and economic rights and liberties. I don't believe anyone can say with absolute certainty that a Romney president would have been any better than an Obama presidency. Although personally, as I said before, I believe Obama to be the absolute worst president our neighbor has had the misfortune to endure. I can say this with certainty, though. Unless one or both parties begins to adopt the perceived positive policies of the other party, and that by that I mean that one of those parties, doesn't matter which one, one of them has to identify the nature of individual rights, both economic and well, personal. that's not going to happen with those parties. Then this nation is doomed to fail. Well, then it is, because, you know, you're talking about... This has always been the right and left. I remember when I first started voting, I was always faced with the dilemma. I believed in freedom right across the board, personal and economic. And you couldn't get that package in one party. You either got personal freedom in, along exactly. with economic yep. slavery, or you got uh, economic freedom with personal slavery. Yep. And, and I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, how come there isn't a party that has both on its side? Now, as you say, that could be done with any party. But, uh, but A is A. Uh, and uh, a Democrat uh, is a Democrat, and a Republican is a Republican, and neither of them live up to either of those two ideals. A is A, and Demo the Democratic Party is the Democratic Party, and the Republican Party is the Republican Party. However, if you'd compare the Republican Party today to the Republican Party uh, 40, 50, 60 years ago, the two, there is no comparison. They are so dramatically different. A can change when it comes to political parties. And in fact, it has to change in the United States because, because of the Electoral College system, System and the Twelfth Amendment, hang on, hang you're on. not going to get a third-party candidate come up the middle to take it. If you a, just can't. If A can change and it becomes B, well, then it has to become B. <clears throat> That's my point. And I don't care if they continue to call, call themselves okay, the Democratic well, Party. You can't just go by the name, but they have yeah. to change what they are, or yeah, they allow for a, an alternative that has the right mix. And right now, neither of those. Well, two they can't already. That's, that's, that's the point. They you can't say it's offer constitutionally. It's Not very allowed. difficult constitutionally to do that. I mean, the Greens have tried, but you've got to push out the Democrats and the Republicans and, and, and to get all of... For example, California always goes Democrat. They don't even campaign there. They know it's going Democrat. They don't even want to campaign there. They don't spend the money there, and they'll get all 55 electoral votes from California. It's a fait accompli. That's part of the electoral college system that's in, constitutionally in place. They've got to change that or change themselves to be able to re-identify individual rights in the Founding Fathers' idea for that country. And if they don't, like I said, the, the country may be doomed. I think it probably is doomed. Well, you know, we're about to hear a clip where this is from the 2004 U.S. election, the Republican convention. I've really edited it tightly to keep all the loud, long clapping shorter than it was. And what we are going to hear here is a very vibrant and lively Arnold Schwarzenegger mm -hmm. talking about what it means to be a Republican. And when I weigh that against what he did in California and what a mess California's in, <laughs> how do 
voters weigh what they are about to hear as these values with the disasters wrought by the people who are preaching Well, before them. we go to that clip, remember, okay. of course, that uh, while Schwarzenegger was a Republican, he had to deal with con- with um, a state legislature that not necessarily that did not see his, see things his way. Oh, understood, understood. And he as was a governor- also up here as an individual promoting green with McGinty yeah. and selling us all down that. There's the dichotomy, hell, isn't it? You know, so yeah. there you go. Let's take a break and we'll continue the conversation right after this. My fellow immigrants, my fellow Americans, how do you know if you're a Republican? Well, I tell you how. If you believe that government should be accountable to the people, not the people to the government, then you are a Republican. If you believe that a person should be treated as an individual, not as a member of an interest group, then you are a Republican. If you believe that your family knows how to spend your money better than the government does, then you are a Republican. If you believe, if you believe that our educational system should be held accountable for the progress of our children, then you are a Republican. If you believe, if you believe that this country, not the United Nations, is best hope for democracy, then you are a Republican. And ladies and gentlemen, and ladies and gentlemen, if you believe that we must be fierce and relentless and terminate terrorism, then you are a Republican. Now there's another way you can tell you're a Republican. Your faith in free enterprise, faith in the resourcefulness of the American people, and faith in the U.S. economy. And to those critics who are so pessimistic about our economy, I say, don't be economic girly man. Now, here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Dan Rowan. And in the purple trunks, Dick Martin. So here we go again. Oh, I can't wait to get started. Seem to be in pretty good spirits tonight. I feel good, too. Oh, well, that's quite a coincidence. Yeah. Why don't I tell you who's on the show tonight? No, uh, I tell you what, why don't you tell me who's on the show tonight? Hey, we'll do it your way. All righty. Okay. Kirk Douglas. Now, you know Kirk Douglas isn't here tonight. Yeah, but they don't know. You mean you deliberately mislead these people to make them watch the show because Kirk Douglas is on? You bet your sweet bippy I would. (laughs) I've been meaning to ask you, what's a bippy? That's a baby bip. Yeah, but what's a bip? Big bippy. Are you sure? You bet your sweet bippy, I'm sure. I love that clip from uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And uh, I guess if you consider what he said, I'm a Republican. Because I couldn't disagree with anything he said there. The only problem is that while they preach those kinds of things, they actually do the opposite in many respects. Like you said before, he was a very big green opponent, uh, uh, proponent, and um, that did not speak well 
to and, what and, he was talking and about And to there. give Obama his due, when he responded to Romney that, well, I inherited this debt, he was correct, too. And you and I have commented many times how mm-hmm. Republican governments have outspent Democratic governments two to one sometimes. Even in Canada, the yeah. conservative governments often outspend the liberal governments. So you have to take these kinds of comparisons and descriptors of the Democrats, Republicans, conservative liberals with a grain of salt because the it's a very blurred uh, line of distinction between the, both of them. As the latter clip illustrates, they will deliberately mislead you. <laughs> but <laughs> of the two parties, support. I think it's the Republicans who stand to gain the most. If only they would, as you say before, change from A to B, change their spots, identify the fact that in the pluralistic society they have down there, they have to start to adopt certain things which the people now take as um, a right, and that would be, for example, uh, the right to uh, choose an abortion. So they, if they so choose, the right which the Supreme Court has already decided on is the end of it. A story. I don't know why it keeps coming up. Um, or uh, legalization of marijuana and other and other drugs. I mean, those kinds of things are happening, and the Republicans are going to be left in the Stone Age if they don't adapt. You know, many of us grew up admiring the United States me especially, despite its many faults. And as a nation, to admit it was the first nation to, to, to be created solely and explicitly to protect the individual rights of its citizens. It was the first nation to have a written constitution to limit the powers of, of its government. And as a result, was the most prosperous nation this planet has ever seen. That's quickly becoming to an end, and there is a parasitic rot spreading rapidly throughout the United States. And it's the rot of envy and greed. It's like Paul, the, uh, the caller, said earlier on today, it's, it is wanting something for nothing. At the, some, something at the expense of your neighbor. And it's, the, uh, it's embodied, I think. In the person of Barack Obama, before I, I blamed Barack Obama, but I also blamed the American people, and I think Barack Obama is the symbol for this rot. He is the great destroyer. When Obama was elected for the first time in 2008, he was an unknown, even to most Democrats. And as such, the American people could have been forgiven for their mistake of electing him. But having endured four years of crippling debt, massive unemployment, a weakened position amongst the world community, and an economy all but in ruins. There's no forgiving his re-election. He was re-elected with deliberate intent, with full knowledge of the damage he can cause. So then Clinton was wrong. It's not the economy, eh, stupid? <laughs> it's the people, stupid. <laughs> or the stupid people. <laughs> the United States, as many of us have come to know, is a noble country, a vibrant, dynamic country, an economic powerhouse, a country built on freedom and individual rights, a benevolent superpower. That notion has ceased to exist. That's, that's just history. That's like um, watching a black and white TV show. It doesn't exist anymore. It's now just one of a... It is now just one amongst many countries whose people seek handouts and demand entitlements they have no right to. It's blended into a morass of socialist nations whose governments treat their people with disdain and contempt. It's lost its center, its identity as a unique nation among nations. It's experiencing its decline, and the world will be forever poor for its inevitable fall. Words like, live free or die, the motto of the state of New Hampshire. Patrick Henry's, give me liberty or give me death. Francis Scott Key's, the land of the free and the home of the brave. They're now mere bromides, repeated as if, as if by rote, by adults and schoolchildren alike who have no implicit understanding of what those words actually mean. It saddens me to think, as we approach Remembrance Day, 
Veterans Day in the United States, that the very concept of freedom is quickly being lost. Perhaps one day we can regain our sanity and rekindle the fire that's freedom, individual rights, honesty, integrity, productiveness, creativity, common sense, and maturity. Perhaps one day we can look back at the envious, greedy, childish society we live in today and shake our heads and ask ourselves, how could we ever have stooped so low? How could we have lost such an idea that is freedom? Well, I have to tell you, it's it's a lamentable situation. I don't think that the Republicans have any answers. I don't think they can be reformed. I don't agree with everything Arnold Schwarzenegger said there, although it had a positive sense of life to it. And the, the destructive part was, in a sense, and I and you know I can relate to it a bit, is when he says we've got to have faith in free enterprise, faith in the economy, faith in the American people. <laughs> that is right? their downfall because they cannot articulate the actual reasons why the well, economy is that's good. Okay to say in a in a raw raw speech. Yeah, but true faith enough. Faith is not going to cut it. No. And the problem is free enterprise doesn't happen just because you have faith in it and then you go around enacting socialist programs. Free enterprise will not arise. It's not a self-creating system. It has to be created consciously, Mm -hmm. not on faith and on just let's hope it happens. Because people, you know, the the reason they have that faith is because they know all of us will do whatever it takes to survive. And so they count on our desperation to keep ourselves from go- slipping into the muck, and that's the faith we have in free enterprise. I mean, even the Soviet Union could say that to that point. Mm-hmm. And, and when you see the degree to which politicians just have no regard for the people that they are governing for. I think Orlando's um, comments on last week's show, Orlando Zampronia, who talked about, even on the municipal level, we're dealing with politicians who are... Career politicians, meaning they're only in, into the power, into the legislative thing without any thought to the future or the ultimate purpose of it all, other than the system exists and you're doing what you're doing. Well, what I like about the, Republican, pragmatism, what I I like about the Republican Party is at least, um, or conservatism in general, is that is the only side, and we've said it on this show before, that has any uh, ideas. And are no, willing that's to, true. And On are the right to, is where the debate is. Willing to talk Even about it right as well. Now. And free speech is a hallmark of the right and not the left. And um, Ayn Rand, I think, said it best uh, many years ago when she said that conservatism's main fault is that they are um, unable to articulate why capitalism is better than socialism. They take it on faith, as Schwarzenegger says, and you just said. They're trying to take it on faith that capitalism works. You can't do that. You have to demonstrate uh, the, the moral superiority of capitalism as a political system, and the conservatives can't do that. Which is why it has to back to arguing morally. I think if Romney had stayed on the moral track instead mm-hmm. of going back to the economic track, he might have had a better response. That's it for today. Don't know that we've resolved our <laughs> dilemmas for the next four years. Let's wait till January 1st, see what happens when we all go over that cliff together. But until then, we will be back next week for a new show. So join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And you know what to do. We'll see you then. Take care. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be Our country would be much better off with a strong leader I know, but Sinatra can't do everything 
country would be much better off with a strong leader. I know, but Sinatra can't do everything. 